You know, sometimes when you start to prepare a message, when you're going out to preach the Word of God, um, you get pulled in different directions. And uh, I've been asking God specifically uh, this week just to direct my heart as to what I should bring to you tonight. As we listen to God's Word tonight, I want you to hear God speaking. This is so important. This is not the word of Robert Dyer. This is, not, this is not just print on a page. This is a living, active, powerful word of God. I would that we could get to grips with it in a much greater way. And humble ourselves before the Lord and realize that this is God's word speaking to us. This is God trying to penetrate our hearts and minds and consciences. That we might be like the psalmist, Lord thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against you. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to draw us closer and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll touch on that in a moment just as well at the same time. But I want to read four passages to you tonight. Four single verses. And uh, I was... uh, I got confirmation of this in our own uh, prayer meeting and Bible study on Wednesday night. And I'm saying, Lord, I prepared three messages to preach. Now, honestly, I'm not going to be here until midnight, Graham, don't panic. I said, Lord, I don't know what to preach. What, what, What will I do? And God spoke quite definitely to me on Wednesday night. And these are the passages I'm going to read. And I'm going to read only, I'm going to preach on only one of them. Um, The other three have. Graham invites me back, you might get it another time. Um, But I want to say to you, listen to the voice of God speaking. This is important. The the first one is in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 1 and verse 15. And uh, let me just say that these are all faithful sayings that I'm going to refer to. And Paul in his epistle to Timothy and to Titus says this saying four times. And he says this, uh, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's the first one. The second one is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. And he says, Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. And the third one is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. It is a faithful saying. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And lastly, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul writing to Titus says this, this is a faithful saying. Now, Timothy and Titus were young men in the work of God. And Paul was trying to encourage them, as I want to do with you tonight. Paul was trying to encourage them to be strong in the Lord and to realize that the words that he was giving to them were very, very faithful words. And I'm going to explore that just in a moment. This is a faithful saying that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain the good works. So let's have a look at this first passage tonight. 1 Timothy 1 and 15. The Greek word for faithful is pistos. Now I'm not a Greek scholar by any manner of means. But when I look the word in the original text, it means 
trustworthy to the greatest extent incontestable something that can be completely relied upon as we look around the world today so often we hear others who speak words which are the exact opposite they want us to believe that what they're saying is true but in actual fact they cannot be trusted there is falsehood in their statements there's double meanings behind what they say and they're in many ways ambiguous Look at the sex scandals coming to light in the government. Men and women who have been entrusted to run the country have no honour in their private lives. These four statements which we have read are the exact opposite. What makes them different? How is it possible to discern the trustworthiness of the words that we've read? How is it possible to believe that what we have read is actually truth? Well, first... This is the inspired word of God. This is no ordinary book. These are not the words of men. Timothy, second epistle of Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly furnished, equipped for every good work not only is the scripture God breathed but the God that we believe and trust in is a God who cannot lie he's a God that never changes now in Titus chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 we read these verses and this is important because it's, it's important to understand what, what the word says about itself what God is saying about himself and although it was the Apostle Paul writing to Titus and to Timothy, um, these are the words of God. They were God-breathed. They came by the Spirit of God. And he says this, Titus 1 verse 1 and 2, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago and also in Hebrews 6 and verse 17 and 18 we read these verses where God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise that's you and I the immutability of his counsel number one Confirmed it by an oath, number two, that by these two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge and laid hold on the hope that has been set before us. Well, there we are. Have you and I fled for refuge? Have we come to saving grace in Jesus Christ? Do we know that the hope, this hope, this absolute sure and certain hope that lies within us, it all comes from a God who cannot lie, from one upon whom we can absolutely depend, from one in whom there is absolutely no shadow of turning or variableness. This is a God in which we believe. Now we may be able to convince ourselves as believers based on what God is saying in the word. 
But what about the world outside? What about the Christian, the non-Christian, the person who doesn't believe in God? How are we to convince them that this God that we believe and trust in, this God who became flesh and died on the cross of Calvary for our sins to reconcile men back to himself, how can we convince them that this word is truth? Let me suggest some things. In the Old Testament, there are over 4,000 references where God says, Thus saith the Lord God. I want to ask the question, why would God want to tell over 4,000 lies about himself? It's a bit daft, isn't it? Not only so, this God who became flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh, he was the Son of God and Son of Man. But he made the blind to see. It's history. It's his story. He made the blind to see, the lame to walk, the dumb to talk. He raised people from the dead. Unheard of. Since then or before then except by the power of God and this man called Jesus was God in the flesh why should we not trust him why should we not believe him because everything that he said would come to pass came to, came to pass he prophesied and said that he would die at the hands of men the word of God tells us that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Was he called Emmanuel? Yes, he was. Does the Bible tell us before it actually happened that this man would be born as a baby in Bethlehem's manger? Yes, it does. Was it fulfilled? Yes, it was. Does it tell us that this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, would commence his ministry amongst men and women? Yes, it does. Did it happen? Yes, it did. All fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Does it tell us that after three and a half years of ministry, that men would take him and crucify him? Yes, it does. Did it happen? Yes, it did. And yet men seem to fail to recognize that this man called Jesus, who came over 2,000 years ago to die on a Roman cross, died for them in their room and in their place. So that they could become reconciled to God through, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Well, why would such a man or why would such a God want to tell over 4,000 lies about himself? It's ridiculous even to contemplate. When he was tried... Do you remember those words? I can find no fault in him. The Bible tells us that he was tempted and tried in every point such as we are. Yet, he was without sin. He was a sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And says John the Baptist as he was presenting the Lord Jesus Christ, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does Paul say to Timothy? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now let me just say this. Paul didn't realise that a couple of thousand years down the road there was going to be a Robert Dyer coming on the scene. I'm a bigger sinner than Paul was. 
and to think of each of us look at our own hearts and think of the depravity of our nature of the evil that lies within us we will discover that each of us in our own sense are the biggest sinners in God's earth Paul wasn't by far the biggest sinner Oh yes, he did a lot of things. He persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. It was terrible what he did. But when I think of the persecuted church today and all that it's enduring for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, men and women being slain, being beheaded, being put to death, being tortured, being closed up in containers in darkness for weeks and months at a time, being put in prison because they refused to renounce the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I think of these people, these are people of whom this world is not worthy. That's what the Bible says. Well, we can depend on God's word because of its truthfulness, its honesty, its trustworthiness, its testimony, its conviction, its faithfulness, its authenticity, its genuineness, its guarantee, its promise. And so the list of adjectives go on describing this faithful saying are endless and utterly and absolutely trustworthy because of this the gospel of Jesus Christ is worthy of your acceptance and of mine and of the acceptance of the world outside it would be futility for God to give us some kind of gospel that men couldn't trust in and the surety we have of this is that this word comes to us from a God who cannot lie and from a saviour who was tempted and tested in all points such as we are yet he was found to be without sin well this must be one of the most important statements in the bible regarding the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ it's clearly defined without ambiguity that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners Ever since the dawn of time, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been plagued with sin that was passed down through the ages. And despite the attempts by governments and nations to address the effects of sin, through prison and punishment and education and corrective correction programs no one without exception in this world has been able to provide an effective answer to the problem of sin have they? do you know of anyone that's been able to provide an effective answer to the problem of sin? not all the scientists no one, absolutely no one we can send men to the moon and bring them back to earth we can build ships and carry megatons of goods all over the world we have aeroplanes that fly faster than the speed of sound we have men and scientists who have become the masters at engineering solutions to a whole range of problems yet no one has been able to quell the rebellion in the heart of man and provide an answer to the problem of sin Look around at the plight of mankind in a desperate world. Men and women and children starve as world leaders look on helplessly. As corrupt government leaders line their own pockets with the wealth that should be used to help those within their nation. 
in our own towns and cities we are plagued by alcohol and drugs running, ruining the lives of individuals and families alike and despite the various programs and the funding that's been put in place to resolve these problems by national and local governments human life continues to be ruined by this awful scourge of alcohol and drugs terrorists give no thought to the sanctity of life and are driven by the power of evil to take innocent lives in pursuit of their own hostile agendas and governments worldwide are at a loss to know how to deal with the problem never mind eliminate it the world is at war with itself trying to right the wrongs of rebel regimes pursuing policies and ethnic cleansing and in the process millions are being ushered into eternity some not even realising there is an eternity and a judgement to face after death regarding Christians governments and authorities turn a blind eye to the plight of persecuted Christians because they refuse to renounce their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ how are we to respond to those things what hope can we give to a world blighted by such problems well regardless of the hardness of man's heart God is willing to forgive and restore to himself through faith in Jesus Christ the fellowship that was broken by sin isn't that amazing you take the worst rebel that's in this world today God is not willing that he should perish God wants to reconcile him to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. If only he would realize his need for a saviour. Not all the governments in this world can, can resolve the problem of sin in man's heart. I was listening tonight to the news before I came out. And there's two men, a senior government minister and an ex-policeman at war with each other. One accusing the other of something that happened. The government minister denying it. And then the government minister says, this man has had an agenda against me for years. It's all falsehood. These are the kind of people that we're supposed to trust to run our country. They couldn't even run a raffle. Excuse me. <laughs> How are we to respond to those things? How can we give hope to this world which is blighted by such problems. 1 Timothy 2 and 1 says this. First of all, I urge you and I want to say to, the, to you tonight as believers, this is the greatest weapon that you have in your armory. And this will help you to be effective in the world outside against the evil that exists. First of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. These people that are persecuting our fellow citizens of faith all over the world, in China, in Korea in the Asian countries in Pakistan in Sierra Leone, West Africa these people that are, that are defiling themselves further and drawing themselves closer to hell are the men and women that you and I have been commanded to pray for 
so that God might intervene in their lives and these are not just we ordinary prayers by the way this is not God bless mommy and daddy nothing like that this is getting serious with God there's a world out there that is lost and going to hell I want to ask you when last did you shed a tear for those who were lost on their way to hell when last did it break your heart when you realised that Jesus who died on the cross died for them as well and not just for you God commands us to pray through his word. He says pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may, may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dig dignity. Do you know this? That some of the problem that's happening in the world today is because we're not praying the way that we ought. I want to encourage you to get on your knees and fall before God and pray. Pray until your knees are sore. Pray until the tears are rolling down your cheeks because of these people out there who are dying in their sins. Pray without ceasing, says the word of God. Come together and pray collectively. Whether it's in two or three or whether it's collectively as a church. I'm encouraged to hear about this prayer walk. As you're going about praying and you come back into the church here. Call upon God. Don't just offer a meager prayer to God. A wee request. You know, like it is when you've got sons or daughters and they're wee and they come to you. Can I have a sweetie, Daddy? No. Daddy, please, can I have a sweetie? Oh, what do we do? What do we do? I tell you, our God, the word of God says, Call upon me and I will answer thee. And I will show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. When you get serious with God, God will get serious with you. I want to say that again. When you get serious with God, God will get serious with you. Now I want to challenge you. How serious are you about seeing souls saved? How much time do you spend as a church pleading before the throne of grace? Calling out to God and crying to him and saying, Oh Lord, save souls. Bring about a revival. Do you know where the revival needs to start in here? It needs to start with us. We need to see our lives challenged. We need to see the idols in our life gone. I was asked once, what's an idol? And I referred to one of the great preachers. He said, anything that you love more than God is an idol. Is there something in your life that you love more than God that's distracting you from God? Get rid of it. Throw it out. Be done with it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan will bring everything your way to defile your heart, to blind your eyes. To block out your mind from the presence and power of God. One of the things that's missing in our pulpits today is the word of God being preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to get back to it. And we won't get back to it until we start preaching the solid word of God without diluting it. Without making it convenient for men to hear. We've got to preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, is there tears in your weeping? Are you weeping between the porch and the altar? Are you standing in the gap when you pray? Do you feel yourself interceding on behalf of these people? Do you want your life to become wrapped up in the meager day-to-day -day things? Or do you want your life to be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God at work within you? 
driving you, leading you, guiding you, strengthening you, encouraging you, leading you on, giving you direction into the places you should go, the people you should speak to, the witness that you should make to those people who are dying and on their way to hell. In our text we read, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here we have the solution to the biggest problem which plagues our world, the problem of sin. Yes, with breathtaking arrogance and ignorance, men refuse to accept the solution to the problem of sin in their heart. And Christians find little time to pray for these souls and then wonder why God doesn't bless you in the way that he would, he would like him to bless you. I find it interesting in verse 5 of our passage, uh, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, it states, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This, of course, is the impact of accepting God's grace through Christ in our lives. We find that God changes men from the inside out. It's been said, you can take man out of a midden, but you can't take the midden out of a man. And that's the gospel, friends. The gospel will take the midden out of a man. The gospel will change a man and take him from the kingdom of darkness and bring him into the kingdom of his wonderful light. The gospel will transform him. The gospel will make him a brand new person in Jesus Christ. And I've said it again before in here. It's not just a total varnish on an old boat. A brand new person. Any man being Christ. New creation. Brand new start in life. All over again. That's what God wants to do with those people outside. That's what God wants to do with the worst sinner in the world. He wants to bring him to saving faith through the cross and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I want to ask you tonight, is your heart pure? The heart is a testing place of what we like. Here I would emphasize that the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. There must be passion in all true life. It's been said the entire object of true education is to make people not merely do the right things, but want to do the right things and enjoy the right things. The question to any living creature is this. What do you like? What do you enjoy? Tell me what you like and I'll tell you what you are. And that's not a bigoted statement. The Bible says, out of the heart are the issues of life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What kind of person are you? What do you think about? What's in your mind? What controls your thought process? Is it the power of the Spirit within you? If you're saved by God's grace, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a temple in which the Spirit dwells, leading you, guiding you, changing you, making you holy, walking uprightly before Him. This is the true teaching of the Bible. And it may open up a new view of moral and spiritual life if you've got a thoughtful mind. Think about what God has done in you. Not just some kind of mechanical uh, effort or some kind of mechanical thing that's been done your salvation. It's not a mechanical thing. It's a miracle of God's grace. It's the transforming power of God at work in you. It's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. That's what God has done in you and I. 
the heart is not just a testing place of what we like it's a revealing part of the true man you may be, be deceived by good actions men may build charitable institutions yet live so as to break hearts Men may be courageous in confronting tyrannies abroad and yet live in pure lives in the, in the indulgence of their besetting sins. Good actions do not make a man good. I've said it before. Christ Jesus didn't come to make bad men good or good men better. He came to make dead men live. You and I are dead in our transgressions and in our sins. The people out there are dead in their transgressions and in their sins. Now it might be that in our goodness we'll become better. That in our badness that will be transformed as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit at work within us. But it doesn't happen by nature. The purpose of Christ's coming was to take us out of our deadness and bring us into life in himself. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. A man may be generous and give thousands to hospitals or brave in rescuing drowning men from death or patriotic and save a nation from perilous times. Yet he may not have the mind of Christ and his heart may be as wicked as the day is long. There are two verses in Paul's letter to Timothy which speak of a pure heart. Verse 5. But the other one is in verse 22 of chapter 2, the second epistle. Uh, chapter 2, verse 22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Now notice this. This is really quite important. In the first verse that we read earlier, we learn that uh, love, a good conscience and a sincere faith all emanate from a pure heart. But in the second verse, we are commanded to pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Who are the those there? Every blood-bought child of God. You won't be able to do that walking with those in the world. We have to be separated from the world. That's not isolated from the world. It's insulated from the world. There's a difference between walking with the world and walking with God. If we live like the world, if we walk like the world, if we talk like the world, we're changing our lives. How can we take a witness to the world when our lives themselves haven't been changed and transformed by the power of God? for the company we keep will have an influence on the holiness of our life we are reminded in Psalm 24 the conditions for blessing verse 3 who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The only way to experience the blessing of God is by keeping his commandments and having a pure heart. Is it any wonder the Apostle Paul extols the virtuous heart in the gospel message? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God became flesh, the Messiah. Jesus, what a name! What's in that name? He shall save his people from their sins. Isn't that wonderful? Do you remember the witness of the angel to Joseph? 
Joseph so troubled about Mary being pregnant but the angel came and said listen she's going to bring forth a son you will call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins Acts chapter 4 there is no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby we must be saved what's in the name salvation is in that name purification is in that name a home in heaven is in that name a name written, your name and my name written in the Lamb's book of life is in that name as preserved from the presence of hell and the lake of fire in the name of Jesus we have the victory you want to know the power of God in your life tonight get before him, when last did you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit I was saying this to a church uh, just the other week when last did you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? When last did you ask Him to touch your life and transform you and fill you and give you all the power that you needed to do the things that He's called you to do? You can't do it in your own strength. Says the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you want to know the power of God at work in your life, it can only come by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Empty yourself of everything that's fleshly. Because the flesh corrupts, but the Spirit gives life. And God will empower you to do everything that he wants you to do for him. Our conscience was made to know the truth. Our heart to feel it. And our wills to be guided and energized by it. In Malachi 3 and 6, we read these words, I am the Lord, I change not. We spoke about the truth of God at the very start. We have faith in God who is unaffected by change. He will never change. Never ever change. And his truth remains unchangeable. One whose heart can never alter. And on whose brow, says Spurgeon, change can make no ruts. There's an old hymn which says this, Thy truth unchanged has ever stood. Thou savest those that on thee call. To them that seek thee, thou art good. To them that find thee, all in all. Everything else changes. The world is aging. The body is dying. The heavens and the earth will soon pass away. The Bible says in Isaiah 51 verse 6, Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Psalm 117 verse 1, and I got this last night at the last minute as I was finishing this message off. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him all you people, for his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Hallelujah. We have a wonderful Saviour. The truth of God's word is the rock upon which we stand. I want you to think of this. The joy which a sailor feels when after having been tossed about for many days at sea and then he steps again on solid ground is this joy and satisfaction a Christian should experience when in the storms of life you rest your feet on faith upon this truth I am the Lord, says God I change not 
The truth of the Lord endureth forever. The stability of the anchor gives to a ship when it holds fast at sea in the seabed is like an anchor of the Lord Jesus Christ to the believer when we fix our hope upon this glorious truth. He alone is the rock of our salvation. With God there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God has ever been the refuge of his people. Their stronghold in the day of trouble. His remains, he remains their helper still. And he is unchanged in his love. He has loved his people with an everlasting love. He loves them now as much as ever he did. And when all the earthly things have melted away, his love will be like the dew of its youth. Unfailing, unfaltering, unconditional, unlimited love. What a God we have. Precious is the assurance that he changes not. And the gospel we believe in is not just about what we were. Sinners ruined by the fall. But we have become sinners made righteous by the blood of Christ. Not only has he changed us, but he keeps us. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't just save you and just leave you to get on with it. He takes you by the hand and he leads you every step of the way. He keeps us. This is what makes our text valid. A valid faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh wow. What a wonderful saviour. Will you embrace him tonight? Like you have never done before. We're going to sing another hymn after we pray. I'm going to close in prayer in a moment. Graham's going to lead us in this hymn. And it says this quite simply. On Christ alone my hope is found. Isn't that wonderful? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father we come to you tonight in the wonderful name of our Saviour. We thank you for that beautiful text. It's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved us by your grace. And if perhaps there's someone here tonight who's never been saved by your amazing grace, we ask you, Lord, to touch their heart. Bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If we can help them, Lord, oh, we pray that they won't go out of this place until they come to know the Saviour. Will you hear our prayers? Take your word, Lord. May we hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. May we take your word and may it be a living, vibrant, powerful word in our lives. And may people see us as different from the world. Changed, transformed by the power of God through the shed blood of Christ at the cross of Calvary. Now Lord, be with us this night. Be with us the rest of the week. We're going to sing now this beautiful hymn, Lord, in Christ alone. My hope is found. What can we say to you tonight, Father? To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Hear our prayers this night, for we offer them in the name of our wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.